Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to continue on in this uh, study. Now, um, tonight we, we come to something that is, uh, it's always difficult when you, when you have to preach or teach something that is, has something to do with you. It's always easier to teach or preach something for somebody else, you know, uh, that has to do with that. And I, and I got to thinking, too, uh, any time that I, I, I look at something that does have to do with, uh, like, a pastor or a spiritual leader or something, um, what the Apostle Paul might have been thinking, like, specifically when he's being inspired of the Holy Spirit to write some of the things that he wrote, and maybe not, but maybe it's just my, the way that I'm wired, but I'm thinking maybe the Holy Spirit impressed his heart to write something, and he was like, oh, do I have to write that? <laughs> You know, do I have to send that to them, you know? Um, and so this is not uh, so much like that, but it has a little bit. But uh, we, we studied last time that we were in this, verse 3, and uh, we saw that we have not only a promise of protection from the evil one, but also we have our Lord's prayer for protection against the evil one. And so uh, there's nothing we have to worry about as far as the enemy attacking us or the enemy having victory in our life because we know uh, that God is in control and we have protection, a promise of protection, uh, again, as his children when we're in his will. So, tonight we're going to move forward with uh, what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to these Thessalonians. Um, and it's still a part of this, this confidence that he has towards them, these charges that he's making, and uh, this final part of his uh, letter to them. So, let's pray and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this time. Again, we thank you for uh, all that you are. And Lord, we thank you so much for the cross as we... I just heard that special. I pray that we would never forget that cost. Lord, it's, a, it's an amazing thought that um, we deserve to pay for our sins. We, we are the ones that commit them. Uh, it's, it's on our shoulders, and, and yet you bore all of that on our behalf. You paid for it all, and uh, our debt is completely zeroed out, completely paid for. And it's just, that's just an amazing thought. God, I pray that every day we would live in that truth and with that victory and with that assurance. And uh, again, it would uh, just drive us uh, to live for you, the one that paid our debt. And so, uh, again, we thank you for the opportunity tonight, middle of this week, to come back together and uh, to be centered around your word, to be encouraged, exhorted, challenged, convicted, whatever's necessary. Lord, as Brother Robert prayed earlier, uh, just have your way in this. Use me as a, just a mouthpiece that you speak uh, only what you want spoken. And I withhold my mouth from speaking anything that's uh, not from you and not from your heart. And uh, we'll praise you for what you do. We ask you to move now in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4 is where we pick up. And we have confidence. Now look at this. We have confidence in the Lord touching you, that you both do and will, uh, and will do the things which we command you, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Again, just a, a, a reminder of context. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to this church uh, in Thessalonica. And these believers had already been through great persecution. They were facing great persecution. Again, that's why he reminded them that uh, God will protect them from the evil one. 
Um, and so he's kind of writing this final charge to them, writing them, writing to them about some important things. And here we see that he has a great confidence in something specific. And I believe, therefore, there, it creates a great pattern, a great charge for church members and even Christians today uh, for us to follow. And if you have notes, hopefully you have notes, they're on the Welcome Center. If not, uh, you can jot them down if you, if you will. Uh, they're going to be on the screen. Point number one is this. Be the Christian that is submitted to spiritual leaders. So we're going to have three things tonight that we think, uh, that, that we see in the scripture uh, that is a great challenge, great encouragement, great charge for us. And so uh, the first thing that Paul is saying to them, again, is that he had confidence in the, in the Lord that the Thessalonians would continue to obey the instructions of the Apostle Paul and the missionary team. So that's what, that was his confidence. Uh, it wasn't in the people themselves, it was in the Lord that the Lord would move, move their hearts uh, and, and his ability to move them and their response to the Lord. And that's a key factor because uh, mankind, us, our, our fleshly nature, doesn't necessarily like to do that, doesn't necessarily like to submit because we are by nature rebellious. That was what happened in the garden. And so that is, uh, and, and so the Bible says, uh, it's bound in the heart, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. Um, it's just the way that things are. But the Thessalonians' part would be just that, and it's still our part today, and that's yielding. It's submitting, humble yielding and submitting to the Lord and God's ways. Again, God would instruct. There's no doubt God provides teachers. He says that in Ephesians chapter 4, that he gave to the church teachers and preachers. He, he gave that to the church so that instruction would continue on. Uh, reminding, as we've seen before, the, the apostle Peter would say, listen, it's my job to always stir you up in remembrance. You may know these things, you may know them very well, but it's my job as a teacher to remind you of these things always. Again, God would instruct, God would provide the instructions, God uh, would lead, but here's the thing. He would use Paul and Paul's missionaries, missionary team just as he had used people before, leaders before the apostle Paul. Uh, just as he has always used man. But again, it boiled down to these Thessalonian believers following the instructions that the Apostle Paul would give, the teaching that he would give, and again, follow that leadership. What's on the other side of that? What's, what's the reward in that? What is the reward of following a, a, a spiritual leader, a teacher, a preacher? What's the reward? What's the other side of that? I think it's blessing. I think it's strength. I think it's health. And it's not because of, of anything that I or any other spiritual leader or teacher or preacher uh, can offer in ourselves. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, but it's because it's God's way. It's God's design. It's the way that, again, God has always worked in using mankind to accomplish his purpose. But do we just follow whatever the preacher or the pastor or whatever spiritual leader says? Do we just say, well, they said it, so we do it? Do we just do it mindlessly? Do we just do it because, well... I mean, uh, we're told to follow, so that's what we're going to do. Do we do that? Or should we use some type of filter when we determine whether we're going to follow a spiritual leader, a preacher, a pastor, a teacher's uh, leadership or not? I would say yes. I think there is uh, definitely filters that are a filter that we should use when we determine whether or not we're going to follow a leader's direction or a leader's instruction, a leader's leadership. So here's some things in your notes, if you have, that I, I would jot down and encourage you to always evaluate. And I'm, I'm doing it to challenge you even with me, uh, because I don't want you to, to ever do something that, that I would say, hey, we need to do this, or we're going to do this, or you should do this, if it's not these things. And so 
uh, it's, it's an accountability with, with the, the, the leader in the, in the church, and, and I'm okay with it because I know this is right. I know this is right. I'm completely confident in this. And this is where I believe the Apostle Paul was coming when he was saying, my confidence is in the Lord concerning you, that you're going to do this. And so the first thing that I think that you need to ask is the leader, is that leader's instructions or his leadership, first of all, is it biblical? Is it biblical? Of course, the first thing, anytime that you're seeing a spiritual leader, a pastor, a teacher, is what they're saying, is what they're saying that we should be doing, is what they say that uh, we're going to do, is, is, is what we do and why we do it. Is, it. is it, first of all, is it biblical? Again, can you turn to Scripture and say, this is why we do it? And, and so, there, but there's a couple elements to that, right? We know that in, in our lives today, especially uh, 2,000 years removed from when this book was written, there's things that the Thessalonian believers were dealing with that we don't really know what they were dealing with as far as the culture that they lived in. And the same thing for them 2,000 years before us. They had, they had no ideas about iPhones and Internet and, and Google and web pages. And, and, and they had no idea about that. And so when we look at is, is what the leader telling us to do, the first thing, question, is it biblical? But what does that look like in itself? The first thing I would say is this. Is what the teacher, is what the teacher preacher, leader, instructor, whatever, spiritual leader, is what they're saying biblical in the form of a command, a biblical command? Uh, is he asking, is he teaching, is he expecting something that God has already clearly commanded? That's the first thing. So again, it's, it's, the, it's the Christian's responsibility, it's the church member's responsibility to say, the spiritual leader, the spiritual teacher, the pastor, the preacher, whoever, is saying, thus saith the Lord. It's our responsibility to submit to that leadership because God said it. They're just teaching what God said. It's a biblical command. Things like faithfulness or giving or soul winning or discipleship, commands that God has given for us to do certain things. If that's the case, if that's what the leader's doing, then there's only one response for the Christian, and that is to submit to that teaching, to that leader, to that leadership. The second part of this is, is it biblical, and it may not necessarily be a command, but is it a biblical principle? Uh, again, is the leader asking, teaching, expecting something that God has given as a principle? Uh, something like using discretion in certain matters. The Bible says things like this, that we are to avoid all appearance of evil, or every appearance of evil. And so um, it's, it's important for the church member to say, well, the preacher's saying um, that we, we probably shouldn't do that or, or in, in a one-on-one, a, -on -one, a counseling session or whatever, is saying that, that, that I shouldn't do that or shouldn't be in that situation because of this principle. Um, principles like not causing someone to stumble. Well, you can do that, brother or sister, but it may cause somebody to stumble. So just like the Apostle Paul said, Everything's law for me, but not everything's expedient to me. And so is, is this where, where he's coming from? Uh, using grace and mercy as you've received it in certain areas. Well, you know, this is how I've been treated, and so I feel like I'm supposed to do this. And the preacher or the pastor says, well, you probably shouldn't do that. You probably should do this because we're supposed to show mercy as we've been shown mercy. We're to forgive as we've been forgiven. And so, again, is it, is it a biblical principle and then the third thing is something that I don't know where it came, maybe the Lord, but uh, um, I just put it down there because it is true uh, and it is necessary, it's right, um, that is a reality in churches. It's a reality, though, not just in churches, it's a reality in, in other aspects, and I'll talk about that in just a second. And so you can, you can uh, I don't know if this is coined, I don't know if this was used somewhere else, I did not get it, but here it is, leader-ordained discretion, leader-laud. 
leader-ordained discretion. And you say, so what does that mean? So you're saying that if the preacher, the pastor, the spiritual leader, the teacher is giving instruction, they're teaching, and um, it's, you know, we're asking, is it, is it biblical? Then, then there is something to leader-ordained discretion? Uh, absolutely, because not every little nuance of ministry or ministry life is spelled out in scriptural, Scripture about how we do things and what we do um, it's always, there is always a why we do in, uh, contained in, in, in what we do uh, because it's, that's found in Scripture. We, we're driven by our why. But how we do things and what we do is not always spelled out in Scripture. We're not all, not every church is told to have brown carpet. Right? Not every church is said to provide coffee for its Sunday school members. Not every church is told to have certain lighting or not to have certain kinds of lighting. We're not told that in Scripture. God sets up leaders, though. Scripture is clear on that. And like our bodies and like every body that's in here is different and has different shapes and sizes and, and functions, all that kind of stuff, each leader is a little bit different and maybe have different preferences as well that don't have biblical directives to dictate what they do or what they don't do. I would say this, if you're liking or you're disliking of the lighting, of the carpet, of the coffee, or whatever, determines whether you submit to the leadership that God has given, I would say maybe there's a bigger issue at hand. Well, I would submit if we didn't have brown carpet I would submit if we served better coffee, you know, or if we didn't do that whole coffee thing during the Sunday school thing. You know, I think there's a bigger issue at hand. But we have leader-ordained discretion in other areas, as I said a while ago. Um, for instance, your home, right? You have that in your home, parents. You have leader-ordained discretion. There are things that you do that you don't do that you allow and that you don't allow, not because God said it, but because you're the leader of your home, and that's the way that you want things done. Right? Ladies, you want the seat put down. God didn't tell you to do that. That's called leader-ordained discretion. This is the way it's going to be in my house. Right? And when the guys don't follow it, then there's a problem. Right? If, if the guys would just submit. No. <laughs> uh -huh. So I saw some of you ladies start to say, hey. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But again, we, we can tell our kids that in our homes that um, uh, why do I have to make my bed or why do I have to uh, flush the toilet after I use the bathroom or why do I have to do this? Because I said so. Right? That's leader-ordained discretion. Um, again, it's, it's how we want things. It's, it's right in our sight. It's, it's a preference. It's those things that because God has blessed us to be a parent and raise children, we are teaching our kids a certain thing or certain things because that's what we prefer and we think that's right, that's good, that's a good thing to do. Again, I'm not saying that because we have, I don't know, I guess this is brown carpet, that you should have brown carpet in your homes. I'm not saying that. But this is what we got brown carpet in here. That's okay, you know. I mean, there's, there are those things in the church. So again, uh, with, with certain leaders say, well, I just don't like it. Well, okay. 
Um, I would just pray some more. But I don't know. I don't know what else to say. But number two is, uh, first of all, is it biblical? Number two, put it through the filter, uh, is, is it in love? Um, is it obvious that they're coming from a place in their heart of sincere love? Is, is this leader, is this teacher, is this spiritual leader, is this pastor, are they, are they, do they operate? Is there, is there anything, is there any evidence that would suggest that they're doing it otherwise? Are they doing it any other way other than in, again, sincere love? And I would say one of the ways to put that through to the test is just turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and see, is that what it looks like coming from this person? Is that, is that what they do? Are they patient? Are they loving? Are, are, I mean, are they kind? Are they long-suffering? Is, is this what it looks like when they are teaching and, and asking these things of us? Because if it's that, then it must be in love. And if it's in love and it's biblical, then what is there to argue with? And I think that goes into the, the third thing right here in, in your notes is, is it sincere? Again, is it clear that it's not fleshly or sin, there's a sinful ulterior motive? Is it not cloaked in that? Is it, is it, is it sincere? Um, is this what they're convinced of? Again, I will say this. It must be all three because there's a lot of people out there that appear to be really sincere that tell their churches and preach and teach an absolute false gospel and false teaching. They, they are not, they're not being biblical in what they're saying. And so I wouldn't follow that leader for nothing. And I would say that to you. Anytime that I'm not teaching or, or saying something that's not biblical, that whether by command or principle, or again, falls into these categories that point back to biblical, then don't follow. Don't do it. Don't ever. Again, that's why Paul was able to say something so bold as, follow me as I follow Christ. And I would ask of the same thing. You know, as long as that's the case, then you need to be the Christian that submits to that so that the blessings are seen in your life. Again, it has to be all three. But a submission to a pastor or a spiritual leader is a submission to God. And you say, what? Why? Because, again, it's God's ordering. It's God's design. Um, we don't buck God's order in, in the natural and the temporal design. We don't, we don't buck it. Why would, we, why would we do that in the spiritual or the eternal realm then? If we don't buck God's order and God's design in the natural and in the temporal, why would we do it in the spiritual or the eternal? I believe one reason, and that is what I said a while ago, the old nature that is driven by pride and driven by rebellion. It's the struggle for all of us every day is to submit to God and versus putting ourselves back on the throne. It's to submit to God's ways versus doing what we want to do give you a good example. We don't have a problem with God's order of one man and one woman. God's design. It's a perfect design. Its design is to be fruitful and enjoyable. That, that is God's design. Now, the world and, 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 and Satan is trying to mis, misinterpret that and misconstrue that and, and say that that's not the case. But again, that's the truth, that God's design is perfect in that. We don't have a problem with eating. I don't have a problem with eating. But its design is for nourishment and for enjoyment as well. It's perfect in the natural world. It works, the, when, when everything's healthy and everything's right, it works the way it's designed to work. Our bodies get nourishment 
It's also enjoyable. Well, some of you are like, I don't want to die, and it's not enjoyable. <laughs> it's not what I, you know. Um, but again, I think God's design is perfect in that. But because man fails, because leaders have failed, and the old fallen nature of man is stubborn, is selfish, is prideful, is fearful, and is rebellious because of all these things, what ends up happening is we begin to buck the design of God in the church, in the spiritual and the eternal realm. Again, we have to remember, if God ordained leadership, if it's after the nature that I said before, then it should be followed. If it's biblical, if it's in love and it's sincere, it should be followed. It's the way it's supposed to be in the home, right? In the husband and wife relationship. God's design, God's order. It's not that anyone's better. I'm not standing on the stage because I think that I'm any better than anybody in this room. I know I'm not. Neither is the husband better than the wife. Not at all. Matter of fact, the wife's better than the husband in a lot of things. So why? Why follow it? Why, why go that route? Why do it that way? Because when we submit to that, we submit in the, in the church the way we're supposed to, we submit even in the home and all those things, it's a manifestation of our submission to the sovereignty of God. It shows that I am absolutely surrendered to God and His ways. It's saying that God ordains, God designs, God sets up, and God tears down. And just like with marriage, what God sets up and what God joins together, man has no business messing with, undermining, or destroying, or attempt to do it. So again, our yielding to leadership on this earth that God has ordained is a real-time submission to God's leadership himself. When we say, okay, what this leader is saying is biblical, it's in love, it's sincere, then my responsibility is to submit to that leadership because God has ordained it. We have to remember this as well, that God uses man. God uses man in his weakness. God uses man in his imperfection. He uses man. Why does God choose to do that? Because we all know that God doesn't have to use me. He doesn't have to use, he doesn't have to use anyone. He's God. He's self-sufficient. He's El Elyon. He's Elohim. He, he doesn't need us to do anything, but he has chosen us to do his work on this earth. So we know that he uses man. Why does he use man? So that he will be glorified and accomplish his will and his desire of this close relationship with all of us. Again, if we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, at the end of that chapter, we see that Paul tells the Corinthians that God, not, that not many mighty men, not many noble men are called, but God uses the base things. He uses the weak things to, to confound the wise. He, he uses those things. Why? So that God alone is glorified and not the vessels that he uses. Did you get that? The reason why God uses the base things and the weak things is to show that it is all God and not the actual vessel. It's all God. It's not the, the people being used. It's all God. I want to ask you this. Would it be right to expect God's blessings in and through our lives if we weren't submitted to God's will? In his way, would it be right to expect those blessings? I would say no. I would say it would be the same exact thing if we said, you know what? 
I know that all things are supposed to be done in moderation. I know that I'm supposed to be doing this and I'm not supposed to be doing that. But I'm going to go ahead and, and do this, even though I shouldn't do this, and expect some other result. That's crazy, right? For instance, like I, I, I love sweets. I haven't always loved them, but I do. I, we, um, I've, I've had some sweets before, some desserts that like you just, you're like, oh man, that's it. That's amazing. I was given some, um, I was gonna, a little apple pie on Sunday and I thought, oh man, gonna tear that up. Went home, I thought we had some vanilla ice cream. Did not have vanilla ice cream. Uh, all right, I can, this, it's still gonna be amazing. Put it in the oven, made it a little crispy on the outside, you know, uh, warm on the inside, ate it, I was like, that's pretty good. I, whoever made it, I'm not knocking that because you gotta stay with me where I'm going. I had my mind and my taste buds set on something else. So you know what I did? I got some vanilla ice cream. I was given two. Because look, it's kind of like, I think it's kind of like a man and woman. I think it's, it's, it's a perfect marriage. Apple pie is good, but it is really good with ice cream. With vanilla ice cream. And so I, I got the, and I put it in the toaster oven, got it toasted. And, and oh man, it was good. Had the vanilla ice cream. I even got, I mean, I, I went all out. I got a little uh, cinnamon sugar and, and, I, and I dusted it on top of it. And in the toaster oven, I put it on broil so that it kind of made it crispy on top of the apple pie. Oh man, yeah, it was good. <laughs> put the ice cream on top. And at that bite, I put it on, I thought, mm, very good. Um, I did it again. I have no idea why I went there. <laughs> How many people have had dinner tonight? <laughs> I got your minds thinking. Um, but anyways, we, we, the point is this on where I was going with all that, um, that we can't expect God's blessings um, when we do certain things. Oh, that's what I was doing. If, 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 I, if I ate like that all the time, if that's all I ate, and, and, I, just, and I say, well, I, I still want to be in shape and I want my clothes to fit, um, that would be foolish to do that. Like, well, you can't eat. Because you can't eat apple pie with sugar coated on top of it and, and two big clumps of ice, ice cream on top of it. You can't eat like that all the time and, and then expect this. Now, some people, I, I, I get it, there's, there's some um, anomalies out there, but that's just not the natural way that things go. Um, again, I, I would ask the question, could we expect that in our marriages? If wives didn't submit to husbands as unto the Lord... And if husbands didn't love their wives, if they didn't submit to God's way and love their wives as Christ loved the church, could we expect the marriage to be full of God's blessings? I would say no. Because when you don't do it God's way, you don't experience the unique blessings that God has inside of that. Now, I think that we could experience grace and mercy, and I think there would be moments of blessings that we can experience in that grace and, and mercy. But I don't think that we could live in expectancy of the promises of God of blessing those that are in submission to his will. Um, again, a faith balance driven expectancy. Not living in this prideful expectancy. Well, I'm doing everything God's asked me to do. Why am I still suffering? Nope, not that. It's only when we obey God's word and we have that confidence in his promises, coupled with obedience, that we can live in a balanced, 
faith-driven expectancy. That if God does it, praise God. If he doesn't do it, praise God. Again, it's that careful expectation. But in this, in this verse, Paul's expectation, his confidence, his heart for the church was clear. As a mother with, with children, as a father, his desire was for them to obey God. It was to submit to God's ordained leadership and structure, not for Paul's, good job, Paul, you're amazing. Not for that, but for the benefit of these churches. He made it clear to many of the churches that he wrote to that Paul's blessing would come only in their right response because he knew what blessings it would mean for them. And I'm not trying to compare myself to the Apostle Paul, but I promise you that is my heart concerning y'all and our response to the Word of God. I, I promise you from the depths of my heart. I, I, I want you to do what, what God has called you to do and, and be faithful to that so that it is a blessing to you on the day of judgment. I, I, I can't stand next to you and get extra credit in your life because you did what, what you were supposed to do and you were in this church. I can't do that. I will only stand before the Lord and give an account for my life. I will be rewarded there, thereby as well. And the same thing for you. So because I love you guys, I want that for you. I want you to stand before God and, and you to be full of eternal rewards because of your submission to God. So when Paul says things like that, I'm like, hey man, that's exactly right. Again, the apostle Paul knew that he would stand before the Lord. He would write that a couple times, that he would stand before the Lord and he knew that he would give an account of these responsibilities that the Lord gave to him as well. So the apostle Paul was gentle, but he was also relentless in demanding that the churches that he was writing to would listen to him. They would obey. They would carry out the instructions that they were given by Paul or by God through Paul. That's why he was driven. So as pastors preach today, as teachers teach today, and they teach and preach the word of God, God's commands, God's directions, every Christian then, too, should with the same exact fear, with the same exact expectation, the same exact demand, the same submission, follow after. The church, in, in, in turn, should, with the same regard for God and his ways, and his leaders submit with joy. So you know what? As long as it's biblical, as long as it's love, as long as it's sincere, then with joy, with joy, not with, with, not with, with grief, with grief, but with joy, I'll do that. You know, it's only in that moment, in those instances, that those who are leaders and they stray, that anyone should not continue to follow and, and, and submit to that leadership. It's only them. But if that person is following the Lord, again, it should be followed. That person should be followed. And I want to remind you again, it's not that I or any leader in this church or any, any teacher is anything. It's only in God's choosing. It's only in God's ordaining. It's only because it's the way that God has chosen to do things throughout the ages. Again, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's the weak things. It's the base things. The respect that's given to leaders, when we, when we consider about submitting and respecting leaders, it isn't because they're better, as I said a while ago. It's only because they're ordained. It's only because they're appointed. It's only because they're chosen. I want to ask you this question, too. Is it fair to expect a leader to be everything that they're to be, but not to expect a follower to be everything that they should be? Is it fair? So, and that's what happens. 
So this is way a leader should be, and, and we put that, but, but then we don't necessarily have that same weight that we put on ourselves sometimes. The question could be asked of leaders as well. And I ask myself this question. Is it fair to expect a follower to be everything that they're expected to be, but not be everything that a leader is supposed to be? And I'm not claiming to do that. But I promise you, I'm striving. I promise. The truth is this. We're not going to be perfect. Leaders aren't going to be perfect. Church members aren't going to be perfect. But all of us should be striving for that. All of us should be. Every leader should be striving to be the very best leader and example and influence for the kingdom of God that they, should, that they can be. Every single leader should be striving for that. I want to be the example. I want to be the influence. God has given me this responsibility, and I want to be that for others. And every single church member who hasn't been necessarily entrusted with a place of leadership, you still have a place of influence and leadership, whether it's actual position or title or not. Every single church member should be saying the same thing. I want to be the very best church member that I can. I want to be the Christian that has submitted the way that God has called me to submit. Think about this. Was Moses or David or Peter or Paul, were they perfect men and perfect leaders? Man, I can look at the Apostle Paul and say, man, he was a great leader. I can look at Moses even and, and Peter and, and David and see, see some of the, the good qualities about them and say, man, they were good leaders. But I know this, they weren't perfect men and they weren't perfect leaders. But they were God chosen and they were God ordained men. And it was expected for the people of God, whether it was from Moses or David or whether it was in the New Testament with Peter and Paul, it was expected of the people of God to follow their leadership as God led them. I want you to think about this too. This is, I, God put this on my heart today. It's an it's amazing, amazing thing. Maybe somebody else has thought of it, but it just, to, today it, it kind of clicked with me. Was Moses' staff anything more than a wooden rod? He's there on the mountain, right? And he has this, this wooden staff. That's all it was. And God has this interaction with him. He says, what's in your hand? What, this? It's just my staff, you know? It wasn't until God said, use it like this. That it was anything else other than a wooden rod. It was still just a wooden staff. I mean, even, even when God says to use it like that, it was still just a wooden rod. It, it wasn't magical. I mean, the, it, 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 wasn't, didn't, uh, it, it was nothing but a piece of wood that was a rod. But it wasn't until God said, use it like this, that Scripture re refers to that as the rod of God. What? Can you imagine other people? I wonder if this is a rod of God, too, you know? <laughs> God, can this be your rod too? You know, I mean, like, can you imagine once, once Moses came down and said, look, this is the rod of God. Well, why is your rod of God, you know? Why? I mean, think about that. Again, it wasn't until God says, this is what it is, and this is what it's going to do. This is what I want it to do. The rod itself, again, didn't have any special thing in itself. Nor did Moses have anything special the rod or moses didn't have anything special here it is 
apart from God's choosing and God's empowering. That's it. And so when you look at a leader, it's not that anybody, any leader or spiritual leader, pastor, teacher, anybody is anything better or any special, more special. It's only in the fact that God says, okay, you're a staff and I'm going to use you like this. Still just the staff, but it's just what God has chosen and what God has done. And that's it. It's the same way he's working today. It's the same exact principle. And that honestly makes me praise God. Because you know what? I, I realize in myself I'm nothing. And I, and, I, and I look at our leadership and I think, man, how can God use them? No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just playing. I love our leadership. And, 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 I, and I look at them and I say, man, that's amazing. God puts together the people, the men and women, the way he does and chooses and, and uses them in the way that he does. It's, it's, it's an amazing design. I love it. I'm going to try to get through uh, this. We have maybe a little bit. Uh, back in verse 5, I'll hurry through these. And the Lord Direct your hearts in the love of God. Number two is this. Be the Christian that's directed to love. To love of God. Again, be the Christian that's submitted to spiritual leadership, but also be the Christian that's directed to love of God. Paul was, again, saying that he had confidence that they would submit to his instructions, but he is now saying, listen, in, in, in the Lord, I'm praying that the Lord would direct your hearts in the love of God. Our lives, every single one of us even today, just like the Thessalonians, should be aimed at the love of God and the love for God. That's what we should be aiming for. What, what are you trying to accomplish? I'm trying to accomplish loving God with everything that I have. That's what I'm trying to accomplish. And I realize that love, the only way that, that is sincerely translated in my life is obedience. You can see uh, 1 John chapter 5, and you can see John chapter 13. That's how it's translated. It's sincere love for God, is, is seen in obedience to God. That's what our lives should be aimed at. His greatest desire and greatest command is for us to love him with everything that we have. Is God's command only for him or is it what's best for us? And I would say yes <laughs> to both. He's a creator. He's a creator. We are his creation. It's about him. It's only about us in that we are the object of his affection. I love that. Think about that. We are the object, objects of God's affection. God so loved that he gave. We are the object. Think about that truth. The creator. The, the one who is in control of everything. Limitless, all-powerful. Yahweh. Jehovah so loved us that's a that's a mind-blowing thought if you just meditate on it a little bit the object of his affection and what he wants from your life and what he wants from my life as christians is for us to be the christians that have our lives pointed to that love his love love as i have loved you pointed at that love the love of god and the love for god what does this love look like it looks like what God did. He gave his all. That's what our lives should look like. It's a giving of all to God. God so loved that he gave. We so love that we give. That's what should be the definition of our life. But why is loving God so important? Why is it the greatest command? I don't know if you've ever wondered that. Why is this, 
Why is this the greatest command? He was challenged, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? Why is this the greatest command? Why is it so important? I believe because when we're striving for that, everything else concerning our lives, concerning others, will fall right into place. It's setting things in proper order. When our lives are tuned to that, when our lives are focused on that, again, it's largely what 1 John is, is all about. When you look, read the book of 1 John, but he loved us, and we love him. And so we love others because we love him. To the Corinthians, God would direct. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, he says, let all your things be done with love. Let all that you do be done in love. It's the definition of our lives. When people notice a distinction between us and those who are lost that are still in their sins, people notice there's something different about us. They should see it's because there's four little letters that are evident in our life. L-O-V-E. That's the distinction. First John chapter 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. John chapter 13, as I said a while ago, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. That's the distinction. It's that four-letter word. When people look at our lives, how, why are you different? How are you different? Because we love the Lord and we love others as he has loved us. And the Christian is to be directed to and by the love of God. Last part of verse 5 in our text. He says, in into patient waiting for Christ. Point number 3 is this. Be the Christian that's driven by faith, the faithfulness of Christ. Be the Christian that's driven by the faithfulness or the steadfastness of Christ. Now you can look at any human example or, or a great human example say, man, that person right there is a great example of endurance. That person right there is a great example of steadfastness. That person is a great example of faithfulness. That person has been serving God for X amount of decades. That person, you, can, you can do that and you can find that in this life. But that's not what Paul was charging them to do. Paul was charging them into the patient endurance or the patient steadfastness, the patient faithfulness of Christ. His steadfastness. His endurance. How faithful was Christ? How faithful is Christ? truth is this he was slash is faithful to the end his time on earth he was faithful he is still faithful he was steadfast in his commitment to us there's no at no point in time did christ question what he was going to do on this earth he said i don't know about that he wasn't unsure about it he was all in he was God. Say, so, yeah, but what about the garden? It was a prayer. The garden prayer was not a prayer of insecurity or unsurety. It wasn't a prayer of wavering of what he was going to do. It was a prayer, I believe, clearly of example and a prayer of reality. He said, what do you mean a prayer of example and a prayer of reality? The cup of wrath of Almighty God upon all sin was about to come down. I've shared, tried to share this before. I don't. I can't imagine. Recently, talked about shock and awe that, that we did in the in the goal, uh, the um, the war there in Iraq. It, it, it was a technique that was used to to just completely discombobulate the enemy. So much firepower, so much all at one time. And, and, and in many regards, people probably thought that that heaven was falling because of all of the missiles and all the attack that was coming down. It holds nothing to the wrath of Almighty God. Nothing. 
God can rain down on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He can rain down fire and brimstone and completely destroy them. Nothing compared to the full wrath of God on sin. All sin. I believe that Christ in the garden as an example and a, les a lesson for us, his followers. Because how do we know that it happened? Because someone was close enough to record it. And God was sure that someone recorded it. As an example, and a lesson in submission and prayer, not only submission and prayer, but also a lesson in faith. That there is no other way or no other person to take that punishment for our sin other than him in that garden, illustrated through the words, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Because if he was God and he was unsure about it, he could have stopped it at any point in time and said, whoa, let's figure out a different plan, Father. He didn't do that. He could have, just like he could have called 10,000 angels at any point in time to take him away. from. He could have done any of those things. But as an example and a lesson for us, he says, I am the only way. It's only through this death of this sacrifice, the Lamb of God, that any sin could be paid for, let alone all the sins of the world. And so, that's his example. Not my will, but your will be done. I shared this scripture so many times, but it, along with what I, I, I've grabbed hold of for my life verse, they give me so much encouragement to press on in life and serving God. Regardless of what happens, this is what it is. In Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll be done. Uh, we got the, one more verse after that. He, uh, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Again, just recently shared this verse. Hebrews chapter 11, when you get time, go read it again. It's just a, a recap of the, the hall of faith. Men and women that God used in their trusting of God to do uh, great things on this earth. Men, who, men and women who aren't worthy. Even people like Rahab and, and stuff like that. In man's way, they're not worthy. That's absolutely that why God used them. So that God would be glorified and his will would be accomplished. You know, people like David and people like Moses I mentioned a while ago. So, I mean, they were so compassed about with these cloud of witnesses of, of faith. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that easily besets us, so easily besets us, and let us run with uh, patience the race that is set before us. Again, what are we supposed to be? Be the Christian that's going after that type of patience, endurance of Christ. And that's what verse 2 says. Looking unto Jesus, looking to his example, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising and despising shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he says this, consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your, in your mind. So again, in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that, that we will be resurrected because Christ was resurrected. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives this summary. He gives a summary that, that we still, we have this battle with, with sin and, and yet Christ is, is victorious and we are victorious through him. His, his summary and therefore his charge in response to this is, is that last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So in light of the gospel, in light of the resurrection's truth, in light of the fact that Christ is our victor, in light of the fact that we have victory in his resurrection and we too will be resurrected in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. In fact, in light of all of that, he says, Brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
the same faithfulness of Christ in accomplishing, in accomplishing his work, it is finished. He finished it. The same faithfulness of Christ in keeping his word, I will never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. The same faithfulness, it should be driving us in our lives today. And that's what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians. That that same steadfastness, that same faithfulness, that same endurance that Christ had, let it be found in your life. Let it be seen and evident in your life. Be the Christian that's driven by the same faithfulness that our Lord had and that our Lord has in our lives today. And I want to encourage you with those three things. Take, take these three things. You know what? That's what I, I want to be. Just as Paul was charging those Thessalonians, I want to be the Christian that submitted to spiritual leaders. I want to be the Christian that is, is, is directed by the love of God and directed, by, or directed to the love of God. I want to be aiming at that. And I want to be the Christian that is faithful as my Lord is faithful. Let that be your prayer tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for uh, these three points, God. Lord, I know it's, it's my desire. I want to I be these things. I want to be submitted to you, to your leadership. I want to be, uh, Lord, loving and aiming at your love. Not, not what the world defines as love and not what we think is love. But God, help us aim at your love. Help us be directed to that. God, help us also be those Christians. It's determined tonight to be those Christians that are faithful, that are going to be steadfast, that are going to be unmovable in your work, doing your work that you've given us to finish. You set the example before us. You, you, you went to the cross. You rose from the dead. You, you said it was finished. You finished your work. Lord, help us follow that same example of faithfulness and steadfastness for your cause and your purpose. Lord, move tonight. Help us respond rightly in Jesus' name.